Welcome to Shed Life. Kush, welcome to the pod, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, I've been trying to get you on for a while and uh, finally it's happening. So I'm very excited about this episode. Yeah, me too. It's a pleasure to be in the show. <laughs> excellent, man. Excellent. All right. So let's start off very, very basically. You're a mortgage broker. What the hell is that? <laughs> so, uh, to the layman, uh, obviously, if you're buying a house, um, a house is going to be one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive purchase of your life. Right. Um, so you, a lot of people can't afford to buy houses in cash, so they'll take out finance to buy that house. So they'll take out a loan in order to buy that house. That loan on that house is effectively a mortgage. Uh-huh. So what, what is it exactly that a mortgage broker does to assist these people in, uh, like you said, helping them finance their purchase of a house? So if you need a mortgage, uh, there's loads of lenders on the market, and there's loads of rates on the market. So they obviously need guidance in terms of What's the cheapest rate? What's uh-huh. the best lender to go for? Um, which lender is going to accept their case? Because everyone's individual case is different. Yeah. So everyone's uh, criteria will be different. Lender's criteria will be different as well. Uh, so we will find them that lender and uh, yeah, place the case. And hopefully it goes through to application. Mm. They're buying the house. Hopefully they get the keys and uh, complete. Done. Game over. That's it. That's <laughs> it. And we won't speak to them again for two years. Yeah. Okay. Well, I won't ask what happens in two years. I'll ask that later on. So that's a different subject. But just to go back to the current sort of climate and the things we're talking about now in this current world and situation we're in, um, how exactly has COVID affected the industry and the market of, uh, first of all, house, purchase, house purchases Sorry, and uh, the role of a mortgage broker exactly? I think uh, before COVID, um, the market was uh, stable. Um, there was a lot of movement within the market, a lot of house purchases, uh, a lot of remortgages. Yeah. Obviously, after COVID, it's been a crazy year and everything's changed. So there was a lot of, lem- uh, le- there was a lot of lender competition before. Lenders were undercutting each other in terms of rates, mm-hmm. which was good for the consumer. They had a lot of choice of rates. Um, once COVID hit, lenders' criteria became very strict. Uh, rates have still remained low, but there was less competition in the market. There still is. It is recovering slightly after lockdown. Um, but yeah, definite change. I do see it returning back to normal. Um, unless there's a second wave, then... Who knows? <laughs> everyone's screwed then. Who, Who knows? knows about the second wave? Exactly. So, mate, during the actual uh, lockdown period, what actually happened to sort of people who wanted to buy houses, wanted to sell houses? Was it kind of like everything was just stalled? Or was there, you know, was, still, was sort of shit still happening just under the radar? So when lockdown hit, uh, the issue was is that you had this whole social distancing thing. And right. uh, that meant that valuers couldn't go and value properties because they can't physically go inside the property. Uh, so the house market effectively froze. Uh, purchases stopped for a couple of months. Um, valuers weren't allowed to go out. And this effectively built up a massive backlog. Right. Uh, even with remortgages, because yeah. people still needed to remortgage. In order to remortgage, you have to send a valuer to the property. Valuers couldn't go, so they've had a massive backlog on valuations, and I'm just seeing them catch up now. Okay. This is this is a long time after lockdown, so things are getting back to normal, but obviously it's been a bit crazy. So how do people deal with the, um, like you said, the two-year period uh, mostly where you have to remortgage a property, your property? How do they deal with that during lockdown if the sort of 
if they couldn't sort of, I don't know, if it wasn't feasible enough, like financially or uh, physically, or I don't know, what, what, what would have happened? Well, if someone's coming towards the end of their two-year product, um, normally they would move to a different lender who has a better rate. But those people who couldn't move to a different lender, there's always the choice of staying with your existing lender. So your existing lender will offer you a competitive rate, um, which means you don't move on to the high variable rate. Right. But it just means that they'll do it a lot quickly, uh, a lot more quicker, uh-huh. and they won't need to do a physical valuation. So people who are really stuck um, and didn't have any choice, they've always got that choice to stay with their existing lender. Okay, fair. So during lockdown, the people who were coming to the end of their sort of two-year term or whatever it was for remortgage, they did they find issues with that? Or was that, like you said, it was it? Um, it's quite smooth sailing. To an extent, the market adapted as well, because whereas before they used to do a lot of physical valuations, they adapted in terms of they would start doing a lot more desktop valuations. Okay. Uh, so they'll do. So the what does that entail? Sorry. So they'll do the valuation of the property uh, effectively uh, virtually. Yeah. Effectively okay. on a computer. Yeah. Um, they've got details of the property. They'll have a look at uh, house price sales uh, in the area. Yeah. Recently, um, and they'll work out what they think the valuation is. Not all properties can have a physical valuation, yeah. but a lot of them did pass through this way. So um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Um, obviously, the people who couldn't uh, get a desktop valuation and were forced to get a physical valuation, they had no choice but to wait. If there yeah. was no time to wait, then we made them uh, stay with their existing lender just so they don't move on to a higher rate. Yeah, higher okay. Rate. Well, mate, just, just, just to go back to one of your, um, your previous comments, uh, you mentioned high variable rate. Uh, against interest rates or something like that. Again, just yeah. for someone who doesn't have a clue about yeah. this stuff at all, just can you can you just briefly explain what that what that kind of means, what the difference is? So I'll give you an example. If you're on a two-year product, uh, you might be on, a, let's say, 1.5 for two years. After the two-year product ends, um, you will move on to your lender's high variable rate. So your rate shoots up from, let's say, 1.5 to 4.5, 4.7. Okay. That's if you do nothing. But normally what people will do at the end of those two years, they will move on to another competitive rate with another lender. Right. Let's say move on to another 1.5, 1.6, 1.7. Definitely won't be 4.5, 4.7. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, an- another term you sort of mentioned again, because um, I'm stupid, um, product. <laughs> what the hell is a product in this sort of field? Can you explain that a bit more? So, um, obviously, lenders have... Um, a list of rates. They keep changing these on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Uh, so let's say Barclays might be offering um, a 1.5% product, a 1.6% product. Um, they'll be offering different rates uh, within different bands. Okay, so product is just a rate. Is that what I was trying to say? Yeah, so kind of. an example of a product would be a two-year fix. Uh, the rate is 1.5%. The product fee is £1,000. Right. That would be a product. It would have its own product code. They would also offer other products, right? So when we obviously have a look at the market, we'll see which product is the cheapest for the client and we'll advise them to go for that product. We'll work out the total cost over the two years, yeah. the total cost over the five years, depending on if they take a two-year fix or a five-year fix. Okay, yeah, yeah, fair play. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, all right, so all the things we sort of just uh, alluded to and talked about during COVID and lockdown, um, how busy were you as a mortgage broker during that period? Um, we were surprisingly busy because we had a lot of remortgages, people who are coming towards the end of their two-year fix or five-year fix. Uh, they, can't, they can't choose the time when it ends. So it, it fell 
during COVID, which is very unfortunate, but they still have to remortgage. Right. So we had quite a few remortgages. Obviously, uh, not many, well, no house purchases because the market closed down. Yeah. We're also busy with life insurance as well. Okay. Uh, because a lot of people were worried because of COVID, so they decided to take out life insurance. They just become more aware that anything can happen at any time. So right. they approached us for life insurance. So it was, it was pretty busy. Okay, so life insurance, fair enough. Um, so this is another sort of field you're, um, you're a part of and you help consumers uh, obtain and all that. Uh, so again, what, what is your role within this field in terms of how you help consumers uh, sort of acquire life insurance? So obviously if someone takes out a mortgage, they've got um, a massive loan against their name. Right. So they've got a massive debt against their name. Um, so let's say husband and wife take out a big mortgage and it's obviously... Uh, based on their salaries so if those salaries stopped if one of them stopped working then how would they pay their mortgage if something happened to one of them how would they pay their mortgage so obviously a lot of people take out life insurance um to cover the mortgage right so obviously if one person passed away unfortunately then um the insurance company would pay out the loan and the house becomes debt free so they don't need to worry about paying off that loan okay that's a very vague example not everyone relates to the mortgage uh, they can take out as much as they want. They can take out 500 grand. They can take out a mil. Uh, but that's just very, very basic. Same happens for critical illness as well. Uh, you can take out a lump sum to cover you if you were to suffer from any critical illness. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah. So how does... Um, on basic level. <clears throat> yeah, no, but how does... Um, is, it, is this sort of like a, a service... As a mortgage provider, are these sort of, sort of ancillary services you're providing, are they almost like bolt-ons? Like you're getting a house, but you might also require a critical illness sort of care or life insurance. Uh, do you know what I mean? All these things, how, how is it all bundled together? Is it something that you just do as a mortgage broker or is it just, is it not for everyone? Is it just something you do because you realize they kind of go hand in hand together? Yeah. So they go hand in hand and we have to talk about it. Uh, also from a compliance point of view, we have to make people aware that ah, look, okay, okay. Um, if their spouse wasn't around, yeah. um, would they still be able to make mortgage payments? And we need to prepare them uh, obviously for the fact that, yeah. If that makes sense. A worst yeah, case yeah. scenario happened, mm. um, then then you can you can be covered. The mortgage can be paid off, and the house can be debt free. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot more sense. If they don't want to take it out, they don't have to, but we have to make them aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Fair play. All right. So, all right, I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to ask a question, which hopefully speaks to people who, again, aren't too familiar with this mortgage process. And that you touched upon it earlier about remortgages. Can you just explain, like in a nutshell? What exactly is a remortgage? What exactly the consumer needs to do about a remortgage? What your role within a remortgage is exactly? Like, just explain to everyone what that is, because most people think they go to a mortgage broker, they get a mortgage, they got the house, they're settled, they pay X amount each month. Yeah. But like what we talk about every, I'm assuming two years, what we said, roughly? You can choose a two-year product. It can change, okay. Three-year product. Yeah, so if you can give us a little bit of a, a background about remortgages, just a bit more in detail for us, uh, not yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. Um, if someone uh, buys a house, they might take out a two-year fix, right? So for the first two years, they'll be paying uh, whatever rate they took out. At the end of the two years, that rate is going to shoot up to the lender's high variable rate. So uh, as an example, it might go from 1.5 to 4.5. Uh-huh. Okay? Obviously, they want to prevent that happening because if the rate shoots up, their monthly payment shoots up as well. So right. at the end of the two years, we will move them to a more competitive provider, a more competitive rate, just to make sure that doesn't happen. 
So they might move on from a 1.5 to let's say 1.5, 1.6, whatever the rates yeah, are anything, at the time. Right, yeah. yeah, whatever the rate but is. But it's right. not going to be the high variable rate. Okay, okay. Um, just to obviously keep them on that level playing field. And that will be throughout the term of their mortgage. Um, at the end of the product term, we'll keep switching them over. So if you're if you're if you've got a mortgage with um, a, a building site, a bank, or wherever it might be, a mortgage provider, right? And then two years later, you switch to another. How does that sort of um, does? Is there any sort of sort of penalties or anything like that from switching with the original one, or is it very case by case? That like some people might say, if you don't stay with us, then we're going to charge you maybe a little bit extra. I mean, something yeah, like yeah. that. Is that kind of a real thing, or is that? No, that's, that's that's a good question because at the end of the two years. Uh, you are completely open to move to a different provider. But within the two years, that's why they call it a two-year fix. You can't do anything within the first two years because if you do, then you will pay an early repayment charge. You'll pay a penalty. Uh, okay. But that's why after the two years, you're completely open. You can do yeah. whatever you want. So some lenders will have a small exit fee, uh, right. which, is, which is minimal. Um, if you leave that lender, you might pay £90 or uh, I think uh, the most I've seen is 200 250 yeah. But it's not a penalty in terms of you're not going to be paying couple of thousand pounds sure. so you're not going to be paying the same break the bank base you know? yeah yeah, exactly. yeah and it's probably going to work out cheaper to pay that move to a different lender because you're going to be saving a lot more on your monthly payment yeah i mean i'm, I'm just intrigued like what kind of things you reckon would be um would be sort of a valid reason for someone to break a two-year fix for example like is Where, it that they're suddenly on the lottery and they can just pay off their mortgage or like what kind of things would it be have, you, have you even witnessed any of that sorry yeah basically if someone over the two years, uh, people's circumstances can change. Okay. Um, so two years is probably a bit extreme because sometimes people will take out a two-year fix and not much can happen in two years. But if you take out a five-year fix, you might change your mind. Let's say after year three, you might want to move house. Um, and you might be in a position where look, you can't continue with this mortgage. You're forced to uh, break the product, yeah. pay the early repayment charge uh, and make the move. So not everyone's in the situation. Depends on circumstances, life. They might have to basically pay the penalty and move away from that lender. There yeah. might not be another choice. Okay. But like you said, it's the, for most cases, it's not, it's not overly expensive. It's kind of like you take the hit, but the reason you're doing it, I guess you're in a better situation if you need to do that, right? Yeah, if you pay the penalty, it's going to be expensive. But we normally make people aware that, look, um, if you plan to um, move within the next uh, few years, then, then obviously take out the take out the product. Yeah. So let's hit, say, right? yeah. So let's say you plan to move after, after three years, don't take out a five year fix because obviously that's within the five year yeah. period. You want your options to be open. You're tied down a bit longer. Exactly. You're going to be tied down. Yeah. Um, if you plan to move after three years, take out a two year fix. After yeah. two years, we'll review your options and then we'll see where you're at. And mm. from there. Okay. Fair enough. All right, Kush. One, one, one question I had was, um, uh, so when I was buying a property, I remember, seeing something saying if you sort of pay back your mortgage earlier than the time period that they've laid out for you, you basically get punished for doing that. You basically get punished for providing them with their money that they lent you sooner than they asked for. Like in, in normal life, you'd, you'd expect, you know, a bit of a gratuity, right? But <laughs> here it seems like you're kind of punished for it. So can you, can you kind of explain some of that? Well, it's in the lender's best interest that uh, you keep, um, you keep paying them their monthly payment because they're obviously earning money from the interest. So they don't want you to pay them. Uh, they don't want you to pay the mortgage back. Mm. Um, but every year you normally get a ten percent uh, ten percent overpayment facility with every lender. 
So you can pay up to 10% without, without any penalties. If you overpay uh, by more than 10%, yeah, you'll incur a penalty. If you pay back the whole mortgage, uh, that's your choice, but yeah, you will pay the added payment charge. Can you just explain, sorry, what the 10% over, over facility means? So you can bring your mortgage down by 10% uh, every year. So if you're on a, uh, let's say you have a 300 grand mortgage, um, you'll be able to overpay by 30 grand a year. Oh, so you can pay more to sort of cut the, yeah. the amount the bank without, will without, build and sell you. Without any penalties. Ah, okay. So you could bring that balance down in the first year. You could bring it down from 300 grand to 270 grand. Okay. Uh, because you stayed within your 10% overpayment facility. Ah, fair. Okay. So if you go above that 10%, then you start getting... You pay a penalty, yeah. Uh, that's the penalty, penalty okay. fees. Okay. So that... that um, okay. So if you're paying quicker than you should and over the 10% over over facility you're basically going to be taking money from what the, uh, the the provider is is earning in terms of interest and all that so that's why they're, they're charging you more basically because you're taking it out of their pockets if you like well when you take on the product um, of a two year fix or a five year fix uh, you take it on the basis that you're fixed for two years or five years um, okay, obviously so if, you, changes, yeah, if yeah. you break it within the two years or five years you have taken it on knowing that there'll be a penalty. Right. Um, so, yeah, you're going to pay that penalty regardless because the lender is earning from you every month. Yeah. Um, and that's how they make the money, obviously. That's, right? that's how they make yeah. the money, yeah. And that's a contract that you agreed to sign. Exactly. So it's exactly. nothing like dodgy, right? It's yeah. literally like what you agreed to at the time you needed that exactly. money, right? Exactly, yeah. So what happens if, um, like you say, you get to the end of your two-year or five-year um, uh, uh, mortgage and again, you suddenly come into a bunch of money and you want to kind of cut down your mortgage payments each month and you suddenly just, before remortgaging, you decide to just lob a chunk of money to cut down the cost. Like, what happens there? Because it doesn't seem like there's a window for you to do that. It's kind of like once one mortgage provider ends, you have to have another one straight away. Is there a window, an opportunity for you to just pay a lump sum and to cut down the mortgage costs or...? If that makes sense, yeah, you, can, um, you can pay that ten percent. Uh, so only up to ten percent. Well, most lenders, uh, the overpayment facility is ten percent, but you okay. can pay it whenever you want. You can pay it uh, across twelve months, an equal amount every every, every month, or you can pay that ten percent in one lump sum. When you come to remortgage, if you have uh, overpaid by that much, you're going to remortgage with a lower balance. Right. The monthly payment will be a lot lower. That's because your loan will be smaller as well. Okay. Yeah. Fair play. Man, this is interesting stuff, man. <laughs> Anyone wants to buy ours, we uh, highly suggest you listen to this episode. <laughs> but you know, I'm going to move on to first-time buyers because I think that's a really interesting subject. And I think a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of what happens to a first-time buyer. So I'm going to start with the basic. Um, first of all, how did COVID affect first-time buyers, in your opinion, in your sort of understanding and experience? Um. Obviously, house purchases stopped. Uh, so any anyone who was looking, uh, first-time buyers or any buyer, yeah. um, house purchases effectively froze. So their search was frozen as well. In terms of how a first-time buyer has been affected themselves, um, initially, first-time buyers didn't pay stamp duty on the first £300,000. So that was an instant saving. Um, what the Chancellor has done recently, he's introduced... Uh, stamp duty holiday so you don't pay stamp duty on the first £500,000 so he's done that for everyone not just first time buyers Okay. so now first time buyers still benefit because they don't pay stamp duty on the first £500,000 
but uh, they haven't got that extra benefit. Whereas before, uh, first time buyers saved on the first 300,000, whereas now everyone's on a level playing field right. up until March, uh, March next year, uh-huh. when the old rules will come back into play. Okay, that, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that this is just me talking out loud, but it just seems like if it if it's available to everyone, it kind of feels like the first time buyers who can maybe only afford up to a three hundred k whatever property, you know, if that. But people who have had long standing properties for, you know, adding to their portfolio and stuff, they can just sort of continue to buy properties and reap this benefit, right? Rather than. Uh, you know, helping first-time buyers. So, like you said, this initiative was not—it's not purely for first-time buyers, right? It's just to help the market uh, grow. It's to help and, the market, it's to yeah. boost the market, and um, that's what's happening. A lot of people with properties already taking advantage of this. They're buying more, yeah. Um, obviously, because they've got a stamp duty holiday. But what's also happening here is there's so much demand for properties; it's driving prices up. So prices mm. have gone up. Um, I'm seeing prices going up. I don't know how long this will last for because if you have a look at it over the next, uh, well, six, seven months up until March, things are going to change. People have been on furlough. Yeah. A lot of people are coming off furlough. Um, if they do come off furlough, are they going to be made redundant? Mm-hmm. So if people are uh, being made redundant, demand for purchases drops because they haven't got jobs, they can't afford to buy. True. Secondly, um, from March, when that stamp duty holiday goes, rules go back to normal. Will demand drop as well? So... It could be a temporary, temporary, um, temporary fix, right? Yeah, to help the economy, fix, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. To help the economy. That's an uh, moving forward. No one really knows what's going to happen. That's true, man. There's so much uncertainty out there at the moment. We don't know, right? I think everything they're doing is kind of like just putting a plaster on things, exactly, just to see what occurs. Do you know what I mean? Just mm. to keep the country running. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Society just keep running. So I understand that. So I guess yeah, there's not like an emphasis in terms of first-time buyers. It's kind of just an emphasis in terms of the housing market as a whole, right? But just, just generally, forget COVID for, for a second, but yourself being in the industry, what kind of tips or um, uh, things to kind of look out for would you sort of uh, advocate or tell the first-time buyer, do you know what I mean, just to help them out? What kind of things would you tell them, look out for? Or, do you know what I mean, what kind of things would you say, these guys, you need to look for this? Do you know what I mean? Just to give them some sort of advice if you can. Yeah, I would say um, if you're looking for houses... Uh, when you when you see a house you like, um, have a price fixed in your mind that you would want to pay for this house, mm-hmm. a maximum price. Put in an offer, put in a low offer. Uh, there's no harm in putting in a low offer, um, but have your max. If you need to go up, go up if your offer gets rejected, but don't go above your max. Don't get into a bidding war. If yeah. you lose the house, you will find another one. There's plenty of houses on the market, but don't mm-hmm. be dragged into a bidding war because a lot of people do that. They end up overpaying. Yeah. Uh, by a fair amount in terms yeah. of what the properties actually did worth, just because of what the market's like. Yeah. I think, I, you know, one thing, Kush, uh, one thing which I find um, quite interesting about the housing market is that, like you said, it's not like you're going to the shops, you're buying something for X amount, and that's it. It's a fixed price, right? I know a house is a fixed price, but the actual price you're paying comes from the mortgage, right? So you might think that you're buying a house which you can afford, but once you get the mortgage from the, the, the product like we talked about earlier, like you might think, like for example, like you said, you might get in a bidding war because you really love this house, even though it's maybe a bit of a stretch in terms of your means and all that. But because you don't know a fixed price, like literally a solid value, you think, okay, maybe I can get a lower mortgage or I can get this. I can get, do you know what I mean? You kind of stretch yourself sometimes. 
So you think that, okay, maybe I can afford it. Maybe I can't. But a lot of first-time buyers might not know that because a lot of them don't understand, which is exactly why we got you on the pod today to explain to everyone, right? Yeah. Not everyone understands what mortgage broker does, right? And how the mortgage affects your price. Because you, you, you might just pay a deposit and think you can afford a deposit, but you don't understand the monthly payments that you have to pay, right? And this is, this is why I'm asking you exactly this question, what advice you would give to them? Because they might think, like you said, they found the perfect house. They're not going to let it go. They're going to get in a bidding war. They're going to do this and that. And then they realize months down the line, once they start paying a mortgage which is higher than they anticipated because they didn't maybe do the sums of calculations, that realistically, this is quite out of their means, right? And this is why I'm just always intrigued by the housing market because how do you know that? Do you know what I mean? Like, what kind of things do you need to look out for? Do you just really need to budget really carefully, like go to really stringent details about how to, you know, manage your finances and all that? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if you give advice to your you know, customers and all that about that, but it, it must be difficult dealing with first-time buyers, right? Because they have much of so many questions. They're obviously so new to the field. Yeah, so this is um, obviously, that's a very good question. So this is basically uh, when someone finds a house, they'll come to us. They'll ask us, uh, I found a house, um, how much do I need to put down? What will my monthly payments be? So as a first-time buyer, you might have to put down a deposit of 10%. You might have to put down 15%. Mm. Okay, if they've got that, then, then they can proceed. Whether they can afford the mortgage payment or not uh, is something we will work out and something that the lender will work out. So this is where the whole affordability thing comes into play. So to be honest with you, they don't need to worry if they can afford it because the lender won't take them on if they can't afford it. The lender yeah. will check. It's kind of taken out of their yeah. hands. The lender will check their income. The yeah. lender will check all of their outgoings, expenses. Right. If they've got a lot of loans in the background and they can't afford that mortgage, the application is not going to go through. It's not going to pass. They're not going to get that house. If they can afford it, the figures will stack up and they can, they can get that house. All right. So, Kush, um, let's talk about this um, potential second wave, which seems uh, very likely at the moment, especially in the UK here, which uh, we're both currently in. Um, I want, I want to get your sort of thoughts and opinions on how you think that will affect basically the current market in terms of houses and all that stuff. And just in general, mate, if you've got anything else to say about it, but I would love to hear your thoughts about it, mate. Yeah, obviously, um, when the first wave hit and everything locked down, um, like I said before, the housing market froze. And that's because they couldn't send valuers out to obviously value the properties and they couldn't send them out whilst maintaining social distancing rules as well. If a second wave was to hit, uh, possibly in the winter, who knows? Uh, at the moment, numbers seem quite stable, but yeah, in the winter, who knows what will happen? Um, then if they do decide to obviously uh, be quite strict, like they were during the first lockdown, uh, maintain social distancing and they did the same, then it'll be the same thing. They'll have to freeze the housing market. Whether they will actually do that or not, again, I'm not sure. Um, I'm really not sure if they are willing to sacrifice the economy as much as they did uh, in the first lockdown, if they're willing to do it a second time. So uh, Who let's knows, see what right? happens. Yeah, we're not, yeah, we're, not yeah. we're not too far away from winter. So No, that's true, man. Happens. Well, you know what? Let's move away from the housing market. What's your thoughts on that in general, man? Like the second wave, do you think it's likely? Do you think it's around the corner? Or what's your thoughts? Just have interest. My thoughts on COVID in general is in, I've got a lot of thoughts on COVID in general. Let's have, hear it, mate. We'll probably have to have a second, second podcast just on COVID. Uh, first of all, from a personal point of view, I've had about three holidays cancelled this year. So um, I was meant to fly out yesterday to Croatia. No way. I'm obviously, yeah, uh, in the UK today. So I'm not there. Return uh, flight. <laughs> no, single, single. But, uh, yeah. 
that's another story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously COVID's had a massive impact this year on 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 every industry. A lot of people have been on furlough. A lot of people are coming off furlough now. Um, people who are coming off furlough, they're either going back to their full time salaries, mm. or they're being made redundant. Unfortunately. Yeah. No, that, that's a, that's a, that's a shame. So like I said yeah. before, obviously, if people are being made redundant. Um, they might have had plans this year to buy a house. They might have had plans to obviously purchase. Uh, that's not going to happen. So demand for houses might go down because yeah. a lot of these people will drop out of the market. No, that's true. That's a good point, man. I mean, like, just sticking with the, the COVID kind of stuff, like, um, <laughs> is it is it how much has it affected your industry and your business as a mortgage provider? I know we talked about this earlier and saying, you know, how, how, it, how it's affected the consumers, but how has it affected your business in particular or your, you know, your role as a, you know, your, your job as a, a mortgage broker and a insur- insurance provider? So luckily we were quite, we were quite busy throughout, um, throughout lockdown. I wouldn't say, like I said before, not house purchases, but with remortgages and uh, life insurance and critical illness cover kept me busy. Um, but it's just made me realize that every market, every industry can just drop off in a second overnight. And that's effectively what happened to a lot of industries. And it could very well happen to the mortgage market again. Mm. Um, so yeah, you just, you just have to kind of do your best at the time, uh, work your hardest, deal with the workload, uh, because the next day it might not be there. No, absolutely. Good point, man. Good point. So Kush, what's the um, mortgage market like right now? Um, we talked about low deposits earlier, like are they still available or, you know, what's sort of happening that, around that? So before COVID, you had uh, your 5% deposits available, your 10% deposits available. Um, the after COVID, things changed. So a lot of lenders removed uh, the small deposit uh, from the market. Right. Because it's just higher risk for them. Um, if prices drop, then it's going to be a big issue for them if uh, someone's put down a very low deposit. So they basically removed them. Um, in terms of 10%, they brought them back on. Uh, I've placed a few cases and uh, yeah, literally those guys who got the 10% deposit mortgages were quite lucky because one and a half, two weeks later, they removed them again. Um, and now they're just about coming back onto market. It depends on the lender, but there's right. just not as much variation as before. Okay, fair enough. But can you, again, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from for the audience. Can you just explain what these uh, low deposits mean just again for the for the layman? Because a lot I don't I don't understand, so I'm assuming a lot of the so audience understand. If you're basically uh, putting down five percent or ten percent, you're putting down five or ten percent of the value of that property. Okay. So uh, if you're buying a house for five hundred grand, um, you're going to be putting down fifty grand if it's a ten percent deposit. Right. Um, and the rest will be covered by the mortgage. So how is this very uh, compared to like stamp duty or something like? Is it just another payment you got to pay? Is not. It's not relative at all. Is it different? No, this is this is totally different. So this okay. is uh, the deposit you put down for the property. So oh, just a general deposit. Yeah. Ah, okay. So sorry, your, sorry. Yeah. your okay. property is valued at hundred percent. Yeah. Ten uh, percent of that will be your deposit if you're uh, choosing a ninety percent loan to value product. Ten percent will be your deposit. Um, you'll put down ten percent, and then you will approach the lender to give you the other ninety percent. Okay, fair. So are these low uh, deposits still available? Uh, they were. They were and uh, pre-COVID. Yeah, they were uh, <laughs> quite a lot pre-COVID. Yeah, <laughs> and then after COVID, um, they Fucking removed COVID. them and then they brought them back. And then yeah, 
uh, they've gone again. But they are coming back onto the market slowly, but there's just not as much uh, yeah. choice as before. Not as much choice for the consumer as before. Yeah, that's fair enough, man. This COVID uh, nightmare has been uh, prevalent for everyone, is not it? Yeah, it's a big inconvenience. <laughs> big, big inconvenience. Uh, it's not... It's not um, it's not the best situation, let's put it that way. <laughs> well, listen, I remember I talked to you about this COVID stuff like at the very start of the year, and me and you were talking about it for a long time, and then it hit home, i.e. UK. And, yeah, I think me and you were just baffled, right? Like, how, how much it affected our lives. We could not ever fathom how much it would affect yeah. our lives. Like, we were talking about kind of in a joking way because we knew it was bad, but we'd, we'd never experienced that. But as soon as it hit home, me and you were just like, this is wild. Yeah, and I think even in uh, January, February, uh, we obviously saw it on the news. It hadn't come to the UK. And um, I think me and you were like one of the only two people that said, look, this is going to be an issue. <laughs> this is definitely going to come to the UK and it's going to be an issue. And everyone was just carrying on with their normal lives. And we saw it on the news and we're like, look, they, they, there's no chance that this cannot make its way into the UK. And if it does, there's obviously going to be like massive inconvenience to everyone. What's going to happen? Bro, you are uh, yeah, from the start you're yeah. spawn bro because i think like i said for anyone and everyone i talked to me and you were following it from the very start of the year i said i think we also thought we had it <laughs> i think there were multiple occasions i hope i had it i hope i had it yeah i, I want those antibodies isn't it? yeah you might pass it on to me to be fair. <laughs> but i think there's been multiple occasions where uh we could have had it we could have had it but apparently if you have the antibodies there's no research that claims that you have long-term immunity to it anyway that's a very good point. You know, I've got, I've got a pod recording with uh, Ronan, probably mm, after mm. you, right? The doc, sorry, Dr. Ronan Doyle, who, uh, if anyone hasn't heard the pod before, he is, uh, he's our uh, sort of in-house scientist, infectious disease specialist. Uh, he's coming on the pod this week, so listen up. But I was speaking to him yesterday, um, and he was saying, you don't need to have antibodies. You can have uh, certain types of T cells and B cells, and genuinely you can be... Uh, sort of immune to it if mm. you had those things stringent enough so i was like shit i didn't know that man so yeah who yeah, knows yeah, right yeah, exactly. i know i know exactly what you're saying because back in january myself and my uh, cousin was uh very very uh ill and like some uh, we thought it was like pharyngitis yeah, or something yeah, like that yeah. but i hope it was covid because i'm hoping i've got some antibodies <laughs> yeah but, who knows? but you had it again i remember because i spoke to you in march right or april uh sorry I think February I had, or something, yeah. right? I think I might have had it, yeah. I think yeah. I might have had it. Everyone wants to have had it. <laughs> I hope I've had it. I think I might have had it. But in terms of how long the antibodies last for, if I've had it, uh, well, who knows? If they last for a month, then mm. they might have expired. <laughs> if I think I had it in February, they last for a month, then they might have expired by now. So I might be screwed. Well, that's it. We don't know if it's like a flu-like uh, influenza sort yeah. of thing where you either flu jab every year or jump in. So... It's just a new thing which everyone's adapting to, right? But yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Without a shadow of that, it's been the strangest year of my life, and I'm pretty sure majority of people out there feel the same way. It's just, it's been absolutely wild. But who knows, right? Yeah, who knows? Who knows what's to come? Right? Um, yeah, it's just a crazy, crazy situation. Crazy situation. Absolutely. You can't, you can't really anticipate what will be the situation a year from now because you don't know if they're gonna find a vaccine. If they do. Um, then, yeah, things will be very different. But if they do find a vaccine, how long is it going to take to vaccinate most of the global population? Well, that's it. But, Rob, 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 if we talk about Russia, 
and they, they're, they're ready to put their vaccination on the market very quick yeah. while skipping phase three, which is human trials, right? Mm. That's not very clever, right? <laughs> How can you yeah, skip exactly. the human trials exactly. aspect of a vaccination? Well, he said, he said he gave it to his daughter, so... He said that, but <clears throat> who knows what he does. But, <laughs> bro, remember, me and you were talking and we were like, we were still skeptical about the whole vaccination process because we were like, how long do you need to give a human trial to make sure it's safe? Like, is it a month? Is it a year? Is it 10 yeah, years? Yeah, like, yeah. how can you absolutely be sure that there's no side effects yeah, from a vaccination, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? It's all hearsay. I, 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 I now understand the statistics. Like, they sort of dwell upon the longer you leave it, the less risk there is. But if, if, if you're a Russian and you're skipping phase three, which is purely human trials, then... Yeah, that is very risky, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. Um, to put it simply, I wouldn't take that. Vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, I'm with you. Who knows what, who knows what would occur? Who knows what it's in Yeah, that? who knows what would happen? Cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather wait till... Um, exactly. Wait till till maybe UK find one, even the US to be fair. US are in a mess as well, but yeah, I'll yeah. take the vaccine, hands down. True. What about China? What if they find the vaccine? <laughs> to be honest with you, they started all this, but I do trust them in finding a vaccine because they're very, very clever. And they are very clever. I would, have expect, I would have expected them to find one first, mm. and I still, I still think if anyone's going to find a vaccine, they're probably very close at the moment. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. I think their work rate is very high, mm. so who knows, right? Mm. <clears throat> Anyway, Kush, I've uh, I've gone off topic heavily, but I enjoyed that little segment. So yeah, it's good. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to this uh, housing stuff just to just to appease a lot of the first time buyers I've been talking to. Right. Um, all right. We're talking about. I'm going to ask something about base rate. First of all, I want you to, if you can, explain the base rate, what that is, and how that affects people. Blah blah blah. And um, yeah, how. Well, that was probably my question. So, <laughs> so, um, I don't know too much about it. <laughs> so the Talk bank- me about more about the base rate. That's my question. Yeah, so the Bank of England will set the base rate. Um, and uh, mortgage rates will generally depend on the base rate. Uh, more so your tracker rates, which track the base rate. So during... So, sorry, just interrupt. What's the tracker rate? So if your base rate is... Um, well, currently the base rate is 0.1. Uh-huh. Your tracker rate will say that. Um, your rate is a certain amount over the base rate. So 1% over base. So if it's 0.1, it'll be 1.1 right. overall rate. If the base rate goes down, then your tracker rate uh, goes down. Okay. Right? Yeah. So in order to obviously help the economy, the base rate dropped to 0.1, which is historically low. And um, yeah, a lot of people thought that this was going to affect rates big time and uh, everyone's mortgage payments would go down. Um, sorry, this is people who are obviously taking on new rates. Everyone thought rates would, would uh, rates would be very low. Yeah. But what actually happened is that fixed rates stayed the same, if not went slightly higher. Okay. Uh, it didn't actually crash. Oh, serious? Um, what, during yeah. COVID or anything? No, so the fixed rates didn't actually go down that much. Okay. Um, a lot of people thought they would. Yeah, yeah. But what happened is people who were on the old tracker rates, uh, they're already on that product. Yeah. So, uh, they're going to benefit the most. Their monthly payment is going to drop big time. 
because if base rate is dropped, their monthly payment will drop. Um, a lot of people also thought that if they come onto the market, instead of taking on a fix, they'll take on a new tracker. Yeah. And it'll be very low. But what happened in response to the uh, reduction in the base rate, a lot of lenders just increased their tracker products because they didn't want to lose money. Ah, so, okay. So instead of yeah, saying, yeah. okay, look, we're going to give you base rate plus one, they suddenly increased all their new products to, okay, look, we'll give you base rate plus two. So a lot of people coming onto the market, uh, new um, new people who are remortgaging yeah. or purchasing yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't actually benefit. Yeah. Um, there was a benefit within the first like few weeks, yeah. but then lenders slowly started to realize, they slowly started to think, okay, look, we're not willing to lose a lot of money during this COVID. Yeah. So let's just increase our tracker rates. <laughs> Obviously, they can't do anything about yeah. people who have already taken out the product. So those people made uh, massive savings on their mortgage and they probably still are. No, that's fair enough, man. Mate, sorry, just just to um, kind of end it there then. Like, I'm just wondering, what, what what is your sort of biggest advice, right? For people, whether you're first-time buyers or... Um, you know, I don't know, buying properties, whatnot. What is your biggest advice during this whole time of uncertainty? What would you kind of tell them? Like, what should you do? What shouldn't you do? Do you know what I mean? Just like spew some advice. Some... Uh, <laughs> I'd say, give us some wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the main thing is, is that if you're a first time buyer and you're looking for a house, yeah, still keep looking for a house, it's fine. Uh, it's a good time to buy because you've got the stamp duty holiday. Yeah. But there's also a lot of demand for mm. houses. So don't uh, be dragged into a bidding war. Sure. If you've got a price set your maximum, uh, obviously going a lot lower than that. But stick to it. Don't go above your maximum. Don't overpay. If you lose this house, you'll always find another one. That that, that would be my main advice. Yeah. Just, just, just don't go crazy on, uh, go on prices. Top, yeah. yeah, don't go, uh, don't get dragged into a bidding war. No, that's fair enough. Man. But you know what? Just, um, sorry, just a, a follow-up question. All right, Kush. Brother, you've been an absolute gem for coming on here. Nah, you've taught for, all of us. Thanks for having me on here, mate. No, no, honestly, you've taught all of us who want to buy a property how to buy a property and everything that comes around it, right? I wish so, it was that easy, but... <laughs> <laughs> I no, wish no. in uh, 40 minutes I've taught you all how to buy a property. I wish, <laughs> I wish it was that easy. I wish my job was that easy. Well, you know, anyone who wants to buy a property, hit me up on Insta or Twitter or whatnot. Hit Shed Life podcast and i would redirect you to my friend here who's an absolute genius at this shit right so make sure you do that we hope so 100 percent. so I, just do it but we're going to talk a bit more about covid because i know i've talked to kush like for uh, he's one of my best mates so we've been talking about this shit for a while right so what do you think is going to happen next bro let's <laughs> talk about second waves and shit right let's get away from the mortgage market i think let's um, talk about second waves yeah i think you know what? I don't really get everything's opened up and uh, UK numbers are still really low. I don't really get that because we're doing the same as the Americans. Everything's been open there, but their numbers are sky high. So obviously I can see I can see numbers increasing and they do say that numbers might increase in the winter. In the winter, you have the issue that people will have the flu as well. Uh, someone has a coughing fit or someone yeah, yeah. sneezes, someone gets ill. Yeah. Have they got the flu? Have they got COVID? If you get ill, how are you going to know what you've got? So I think, obviously, the hospitals and everyone will be uh, kind of overwhelmed with a lot of sick people, but they won't know whether it's COVID or whether they've got the flu. 
That is true. That's a very good point. That is a very good point. You know, but if we're talking about... And a summer lockdown is different to a winter lockdown. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you're spot on. The only thing I would say about the UK is every day you look on your phone or your internet or whatnot, and you see another city uh, being put into lockdown, whether it's Oldham, whether it's Leicester, whether it's Greater Manchester, whether it's this and the other. Why do you think London, which is the most populated city in the whole of the UK, has not been put into lockdown? Pure economy, right? So there's clearly uh, underlying factors around it. Um, but yeah, in my opinion, it's, um, I think if you want to really get rid of the shit, you just gotta go hard and fast. Yeah, you gotta bring in the, the you gotta bring in the military or something. You gotta you gotta expose. You gotta make sure everyone like just abides by the rules nonstop for X Y Z amount of time, and just get rid of this. Do you know what I mean, yeah, at the moment it's too much hearsay. There's too much balance between economy and health. Mm. Like, if it was done purpose purposely, like at the time, like just get rid of everything, then game over. Do you know what I mean, we might not have so high an infection rate, right? But, yeah, that's my personal opinion. Uh, and I speak for Shed Life, but <laughs> I've seen the Kush right now, so I'm going to ask him again what his thoughts are on that. <laughs> no, I think, obviously, um, the first lockdown we had, I would say, okay, it was a lockdown, but I didn't feel that my life was really that restricted. Obviously, pubs and stuff were closed, like, um, gym was closed and stuff. Everything, but yeah. It wasn't a massive lockdown. There wasn't military involved like there was in other countries. Yeah. Uh, you could still, uh, you still, got, you still meet yeah, up yeah. in the park. Um, yeah, maybe if we did have a strict lockdown, just eradicate it, numbers go completely down. But then you've also got the problem of people coming in from abroad. Uh, you've got the new quarantine rules. I don't know how strict they are at the moment. Obviously, you have a two-week quarantine. Uh, they're actually checking uh, some people have said they are, uh, but then I've heard stories that uh, some people are coming back from holiday. Yeah, that's they're true. They're going to be on quarantine and they've had no checks. Yeah. So I'm not sure what to believe. There's a lot out there, a lot in the media, a lot of rumours going around, but yeah, <clears throat> it's a very uh, confusing situation. It's a confusing don't know what time. To believe, yeah. 100%, man, you're spot on. Because you actually are spot on. It's, it's a confusing time, man. Like Everyone thinks that there should be there should be more stringent views and making sure no one does this and the other or leaves their area or you know place to live and this and the other but that never happened since march when bro march was the start of the lockdown we're now in end of august right there is not a single person on this planet earth who has witnessed something that the british society or the world society whichever country you're from whether it's uh, stringent or not, has witnessed, right? We're, we've gone through probably one of the most hardship eras of our era, uh, er, hardship eras of our time, right? This is ridiculous. Who, like, who does that? You know what I mean? It's mad. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy in terms of what we're going through this year. I don't think we ever expected to go through it in our generation. But even the generation above, not even that. The generation above yeah. and the generation above. Yeah, exactly. And the generation above. Yeah. If you've got great, great, great grandmas no or grandparents, no do you know what I mean? Through anything. No like one that. does that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's the most ridiculous thing we're going through in our lifetime. Like, it's just, um, it's just, 
it's unhinged. Do you know what I mean, like, what, what do you do about it? Do you know what I mean, there's nothing you can do. Uh, no one knows, man. Everyone... It's out of everyone's control, and I feel sorry for obviously the world leaders who have to deal with this because they're dealing with it, they're getting a lot of criticism, but they don't know what to do. Like, they're just as clueless as anyone else because they, <laughs> they haven't exactly got any experience of it. No one has no any one's experience, experience of it. Of it. You're so spot on. They'll make You're rules. Spot. They'll obviously tell people to do this, tell people to do that. But it's very easy to criticise. But if anyone was in that situation, what would they do? Because no one actually knows what to do. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. No, you're right. No one knows what to do, right? But... And, uh, yeah, they're the same as everyone else. They're, they're humans at the end of the day. So. Everyone, yep. Kush, you're spot on, bro. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And, um, yeah, see you soon. Kush, any final words from you, mate? Uh, it's good to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, obviously, it was a long time coming, but yeah, finally got to do it. And, no worries. Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, mate. No worries. Thank you very much. Hope you all enjoyed it. Enjoy, guys. Don't forget to share and share the shed love. Share. Bye bye.